This week, we are tackling a topic that up-to-date calls controversial, and the article itself notes has been a cause for confusion. And this topic is sensory processing interventions for children with autism. This 2015 systematic review attempts to provide clarity on the topic by categorizing sensory processing interventions into two categories. The first is sensory integration therapy, and the second is sensory-based interventions. As the researchers looked at the evidence related to both approaches, the results were largely inconclusive due to the small scale of studies involved. However, the authors seemed to point to the potentially promising results behind sensory integration therapy. There is a lot to unpack in this article, so let's dive in. Welcome to the OT Potential Podcast where each week we discuss one influential OT-related journal article. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Lyon, OTRL, and this week we are discussing the journal article, A Systematic Review of Sensory Processing Interventions for Children with Autism Spectrum Disorders. This article comes to us from the Journal of Autism, and it was published in 2015. The article is ranked 12th on our list of the 100 most influential OT-related articles. So before we dive into the details on the actual systematic review, I want to first talk about why the historical confusion around sensory interventions for kids with autism. In the article, I found three reasons for this confusion, and then I'm adding one based on some of the other research that we have discussed in this podcast. The first reason for historical confusion has been the relatively new advent of sensory processing problems as a diagnostic criteria for autism. While the article estimates, and we now seem to understand, around 80% of children with autism exhibit co-occurring sensory processing problems. And it's just important to remember that the recognition of these sensory processing problems for autism is relatively new. It was not until 2013 that the DSM-5 added hyper or hyporeactivity to sensory input as a diagnostic criteria. So I think that's just really helpful to remember in this conversation that a lot of the science around autism is just relatively new and is obviously evolving and in flux. The second reason for historical confusion on these sensory interventions is that we still lack accepted frameworks for diagnosing sensory challenges. The article did not directly mention this, but it has come up in previous research, as well as in some of the supplementary reading that I did. Now, we know that sensory challenges can take many different forms and presentations, but identifying particular subsets and finding criteria for diagnosing them is still just a work in progress. As we have mentioned previously on the podcast, we really hope that new technologies will help bring more precision to this process in the future. And the third reason is that the complex relationship between sensory processing and function is still just not fully understood. So even if we could precisely diagnose and categorize sensory issues, there would still be a missing piece of the puzzle. As the article states, it is believed that sensory processing problems are an underlying factor in functional performance problems. But the relationship between sensory-driven behavior, arousal, self-regulation, attention, activity levels, and stereotypic behavior is just simply not well understood. 
And fourth and finally, sensory interventions have been inconsistently defined and can refer to a wide variety of practices. So since occupational therapy's Jane Eyre's first pioneered sensory integration theory in the 1970s, there has been a wide variety of sensory interventions delivered both by occupational therapists but also by other professionals. And combined with an inconsistent use of terminology, the article points out that this has caused considerable confusion for parents, practitioners, and researchers. So let's turn now to how the authors of this article hope to bring some clarity to this confusion, first by defining two types of sensory interventions. The first category that they defined was sensory integration therapy. They defined this as a clinic-based, child-centered intervention originally developed by Ayers that provides play-based activities with enhanced sensation to elicit and reinforce the child's adaptive responses. So this sensory integration therapy is highly systematized, it's intensive, occurs in the clinic over ongoing weeks, and just overall is a pretty intensive therapy. The second type of sensory intervention that they uh, categorized was called sensory-based intervention. And they define this as structured, adult-directed sensory strategies that are integrated into the child's daily routine to improve behavioral regulation. Now, this bucket, this sensory-based intervention, is kind of their bucket for everything else, ranging from sensory diets that don't follow the strict uh, sensory integration therapy protocols, all the way down to having kids sit on therapy balls in the classroom. So overall, these interventions are less intensive, not necessarily carried out by an occupational therapist. So after defining sensory interventions into these two categories, The researchers then sought to do a systematic review of the evidence that is available related to both of these types of sensory processing interventions. So let's start by looking at what evidence did the researchers find related to sensory integration therapy. The authors found five studies that looked at sensory integration therapy and met their criteria for inclusion into this review. Two of these studies were randomized controlled trials, but both had a low number of participants. The largest study had 37 participants, and we actually discussed the most recent randomized controlled trial here on the podcast, and that podcast was titled OT Autism and Sensory Integration, so if you want, you can go back and listen to that episode. And I think doing so would give you a sense of some of the limitations that uh, the authors saw in these really small-scale studies. So even though they were small scale, there were some promising results seen in four out of the five studies. But again, it's definitely worth looking at all five of these individual studies as they all had limitations. And I'll refer you to the article that lays those out really well. But in the discussion portion of the systematic review that we're looking at today, the authors ultimately concluded that it is premature to draw conclusions as to whether sensory integration therapy is ultimately effective. So let's turn now to what evidence did the researchers find related to sensory-based interventions. Um, This was this bigger bucket, a broader category of just really all types of different sensory interventions. The authors identified 14 studies that looked at sensory-based interventions and met their criteria for inclusion. As I just mentioned, these studies were widely variable, and the research topics range from two studies about sitting on therapy balls in the classroom, one study about brushing, 
seven studies about the use of weighted vests, and four studies that looked at multiple sensory strategies. Thirteen of these studies used a single subject design, and in all but one study, the interventions took place in a school setting. So again, we're looking at just relatively, really small studies. And ultimately, the authors found that nine of the studies showed limited to no effects from the sensory intervention. Three studies showed mixed to moderate effects, and two showed high to strong effects. But again, due to the extremely small samples, the authors ultimately concluded, in sum, the evidence for sensory-based interventions is insufficient to recommend their use. So what were my takeaways for occupational therapy practitioners from this systematic review? As always, these are just my personal takeaways. They were not mentioned directly in the article and are really just meant to get your wheels turning on the topic. My first takeaway was that the results of this systematic review seem consistent with other reviews and recommendations, that available evidence on sensory integration therapy is low to moderate, but that the studies are too small to draw definitive conclusions about efficacy. The results of the systematic review that we were looking at today were largely echoed in another article that I read for this podcast, uh, which I'll link to in the show notes, but was basically an updated systematic review done in 2017. I thought this additional systematic review was a really um, helpful read and actually a little easier to decipher than this article that we're looking at today. So I highly recommend that for supplemental reading for anyone who's really interested in this topic. In terms of what other people are saying about this topic, I also checked out UpToDate, which provides clinical decision support for physicians. So this is what a lot of our physicians are looking at as they're recommending interventions to their patients. I thought it was good to be aware of what UpToDate said, and I'm actually going to just read that for us right now. UpToDate says that the role of sensory integration therapy in autism spectrum disorder is not clear. The American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that treatment programs focus on behavioral and educational interventions. However, sensory integration therapy may be included as part of a comprehensive program that focuses on behavioral and education interventions to calm the child, reinforce desired behaviors, or help with transitions between activities. Continued use of sensory integration should be based upon the treatment response in the individual child. So to me, these recommendations really position sensory integration therapy as an adjunctive therapy, something that um, some particular families might want to undertake and some children may particularly see benefit from, but that overall it should be part of a larger treatment approach. My second takeaway was that I was a little disappointed in the lack of economic considerations in the discussion portion of this article. We know from looking at research each week that many interventions are carried out that only have small promising studies to back them, like we are seeing now in the case of sensory integration therapy. Because honestly, large-scale rigorous studies are really hard to carry out, and in reality, they are just kind of few and far between. But I think the controversy that accompanies sensory integration therapy is the fact that this intervention is relatively time-consuming and relatively costly. And if families are going to make this large investment for their children, they want the assurance that the intervention is going to help them meet the goals of their family. 
So it seems to me that the biggest obstacle to the growth of this sensory integration approach is just the economics of it. The cost-benefit problem is why we are seeing more cost-effective options on the market, like the Play Project, uh, which we also discussed in this podcast. And overall, it will just be really interesting to watch how the science around this topic progresses over the next decade, but also the business models to support the delivery of these services. And I think ultimately that we can just all agree that we hope to arrive at interventions that are effective, but also achievable for families to carry out. Okay, that is all that I have for you this week. As a reminder, the OT Potential Podcast is an extension of the OT Potential Club. If you are an OT Potential Club member, I'm really eager to hear your thoughts on this review. And if there's anything you disagree with or strongly agree with, we would love to hear that. And we would also just love to hear from those of you who are on the front line helping to care for kids with autism because we know that your perspective is very needed. But thank you to everyone who is joining us this week. And as always, I hope this podcast helps you provide great care this week.